Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name is James Evans, and joining me is my co-host and head intern at the Morgan Townhouse, it's Ellie Nunn. Hey, hey, one last time. I know. I don't know why I said hey, hey like that. Yeah. I feel ashamed. Hey, was- hey. <laughs> Ellie's in the house. <laughs> that was nearly as bad as a Heather Thompson holler. It was, it was also really dead inside. I didn't even say it with any enthusiasm. It was just like, hey, hey. <laughs> well, that intern work has worn you down. <laughs> You've scrubbed too many B-days over the years. Two months of lockdown starting to take its toll. Uh, apologies in advance if, if I am sounding quite vintage, Ellie, on the sound front. I'm a Muppet yes. and forgot my microphone. So in true Ellie Nunn style, we're seeing out the season with me probably sounding like a muffled guest calling in from the other side of the world. I mean, if we've been consistent in anything this season, it's been in our audio amateurism. So it's a fitting end Absolutely. for this finale episode, I would say. So, James, yesterday I played our podcast for my mum for the first time. It was the first time she'd heard it. To be honest, I think it was the first time that pretty much anyone I know had heard it. Uh, But I was listening to a bit of the Cartagena episode and she heard. Mm -hmm. And I think my mum's a little bit in love with you. She... (gasps) At the end, she said she was yeah. just saying how lovely you sound, and which is weird because she does know you. So mm-hmm. I realise I'm saying that as if you're some mysterious stranger from across the continent, but she does know who you are. But for some reason, listening to your voice, she was saying, "Gosh, she sounds so lovely." Oh, Imogen, that's so nice of her to say. She hated the podcast, I'm assuming, but <laughs> loved our voices. Oh, I'll take that. Believe it or not, this is not the first time I've been told this. I, I came second once in a dramatic reading contest in Cheltenham. Oh, James. And afterwards, a little old lady came up to me and told me I should read to the blind. Mm. <laughs> and do you? I do. I mean, I don't want to brag about it, but it would be a shame to to waste this voice, you know, to deprive the blind of these sultry tomes um although i am forced to do it by court order after i shagged a guy in the wrong hotel room in palm beach you know <laughs> spent a night in the drunk tank and now i'm doing community service to pay off my debt to society i think i may have got this wrong but my sister used to tell a really funny story about how she volunteered for a charity helping kids to read and her kid asked for a new volunteer <gasps> because she said she was so boring <laughs> oh no how you're just reading <laughs> She must have been quite the dull. <laughs> oh, how are you, James? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about Luann Part 4 today. Oh, don't. Don't even joke. I got you. Mm. I can barely mention her name anymore. I've got mild oh. PTSD. <laughs> it, I really, I honestly, between that and Cartagena, I feel like we're crawling towards the finish line of this series. We're so ready for a break. Much, much like the women at, at many of the reunions where I feel that there's sort of just broken things after the series that they've gone through, especially because they've always seen the show by then. So any hope that they had left off in positive places is normally ruined by that point, by the infamous blogs 
which I personally have never read any of the blogs, but I feel like they're always brought up at the reunions. You trashed me in my blog, not in my blog, in your blog. That would be impressive if she trashed her in her blog. Yeah, I feel like Andy Cohen was really trying to push the blogs when they were a thing. And I love that moment in the reunion where Carol goes, look, Andy, we all know only like two people read these fucking blogs. The waste of yeah, time. Yeah, where Carol says, no one reads yeah. the blogs. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about the reunions in some greater depth. That is why we're here today. So let's just go back and forth and reminisce about some of our favorite reunion moments, what they mean to us and how they kind of shape the New York franchise in particular. And I don't know, I feel like New York reunions are a funny breed because on the one hand, they have been really influential Mm. and they've started many a reunion tradition. Um, I believe, you know, don't at me if I get this wrong, but I think the very first reunion um in season one back in 2008 was the very first time we had the the traditional setup where we had you know half of the women on one sofa half on the other and then andy in the middle so they've started a many a tradition that has gone on to become gospel across the franchises but on the other hand i find new york reunions most of the time to be kind of superfluous yeah they're more a war of words aren't they that they when you when you put them next to a lot of the other shows reunions they're f- in a way far less dramatic yes you don't get quite the same level of sort of screaming or walkouts or mm-hmm. i mean let's not even touch on atlanta i yeah. honestly oh my God. watching kenya with that fan right. sort of it wasn't just it wasn't just the way she used the fan as a prop for herself it was the amount she was tapping the other women and i thought i think at that point i would punch someone if someone she did it with a scepter the next year i just honestly yeah and then she whipped out a bloody megaphone so ridiculous she'll be spinning plates and doing a puppet show <laughs> honestly so by comparison, the New York reunions, like you say, are, are fairly superfluous. They quite rarely add a new level of yes. drama. It's very exactly. much a, a rehashing, a lot of the classic thing of getting phones out and going, I'll read you the text, I'll read you the yeah. text, or being like, I want to read the text of this person. That You know, they they all kind of bring out their evidence rather than yeah, getting into right, new right. fights. Yes. More like an episode of Judge Rinder or something than... <laughs> than an episode of Jeremy Kyle, if you will. They are a very litigious bunch. Mm. Yeah, I think we've come to just see reunions as a given uh, to the point where we've sort of lost sight of what their purpose is, which is to regroup the women, review and dissect a season's worth of drama, hash it out, find closure, and sometimes, as you say, elevate it and start a whole new fight. And that still happens, and, and it is important on a lot of the other franchises, particularly Orange County. I think they historically are very good at reunions because right. they're always feuding. They are. Tamara's always up to no good. Brooks is faking cancer. Vicky's screaming like a banshee. Uh, yeah, Tamara's going, that's my opinion! i so good. New York, on the other hand, often doesn't have any of that stuff. In its joy lies in its comedy, in, in those fleeting mm. moments of, of ridiculousness, which are great but consequently it makes it quite difficult to uh to be translated into a a cohesive reunion there's comparatively very little on new york in the way of a traditional housewives feud uh that goes on all season and it requires this get together to to pick over the carcass i mean of course we've had bethany versus jill and against carol and against ramona but those are very much the exceptions to the rule and and even in the case of of the latter and Ramona 
there was a sense that this had all kind of been resolved when they hugged it out naked in the pool in Mexico, and any continuation of the feud at the reunion felt a bit perfunctory and was sort of done with a bit of a wink and and a tongue in the cheek. And I think it's because the New York women are such seasoned pros that Bethany and Ramona will know if a scene's not going anywhere. They'll just launch into an argument about nothing, about like Hampton's real estate. And then just as soon as they get into it, they'll just as quickly dust themselves off shake hands and go their separate ways. So I think because they're such pros and they have such thick skins and they're very good at compartmentalizing fights, they don't have much in the way of residual hurt or or resentment. Yeah. And I suppose in most cases, it does genuinely seem like they left the fight at the scene of the crime. So it somewhat eliminates the need for a reunion. Which is why, do you think it's fair to say that Carol and Bethany's argument on their reunion was the most uncomfortable to watch because I would sort of oh that was such a long s so, 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 sort of this is going to ASMR <laughs> so similar to I would argue that that's one of the few times where the fight was elevated post filming by them watching the show and so they actually were fighting was more on the reunion and it does sit uncomfortably where we're quite unused to that on the New York franchise and I think even Andy Cohen didn't really know what to do at that point because it was very it was unsalvageable by then but it wasn't even there wasn't comic value it wasn't like someone like Aviva where or even with Kelly, where there's a sense that you're arguing with crazy. So it's all the women going, can't you hear how you sound? You sound crazy. Or this is mad. With Carol and Bethany, they really Mm -hmm. are going at each other. And it's unfixable by that point. And I remember when it got to that reunion, I think the first time round, I didn't even watch part three because I wasn't enjoying watching the reunion. It was just making me sad. Yes, it was an unusual reunion, again, because they we saw something we don't really see on New York. We see it a lot on, on Beverly Hills, where they seem to operate on a sort of um, rotating pariah of the season schedule, where mm. all of the women were sort of ganging up on Bethany, and it felt like a bit of a mass mutiny where they were trying to collectively take down Queen Bee. They also, for no apparent reason in that reunion, were all wearing princess ball gowns. Yes. Like, I know that the, I know that the outfits get ridiculous, anyway but they do often tread a line between one person will be in a full-length ball gown normally tinsley but then someone like dorinda will be in a she's very leggy normally isn't she yeah poochie numbers and quite leggy but that particular reunion even bethany looked like she was having some sort of essex wedding right she was in a ginormous poofy yes sparkly ball gown and had her hair in a sort of princess updo and i found i remember that reunion looked really tacky to me everyone Dorinda was wearing a sort of, I don't know if you ever see those notebooks where if you put your hand across the sequins on the front, it changes the colour. So it kind of goes from red to gold. Oh, yes. Like a mermaid sequin. Yeah. They're very therapeutic. Mm. Dorinda was effectively just one huge paper chase notebook. Right. Yes. That reunion, it was very obvious what the um, Pinterest mood board was, which was in that case of Ferrero Rocher, you know, just gold. Gold. And some of the other times, like the reunion looks, it's quite hard to pass what the look is. They're all sort of in a different jewel tone, mm. and there's all sorts of lengths and styles and cuts. And but that one, I'm amazed just... no one's ever turned up in just a really chic suit, just a just a plain black sort of tuck suit with a white shirt. That's what I would wear. You would. When I do my first season, I'm going to rock up in a kind of Juliette Binoche style power suit. Did you um wear a suit to any of the May balls ever? 
in Cambridge. I feel like in my head you wore a suit once. I didn't. I wish I I wish I had. If I went to one now, I would definitely wear a suit. No, I wore one dress one year that absolutely didn't fit my enormous breasts. Mm. Story of my life. I, so I, I must have squeezed myself into it. And I, they were practically at my chin by the time I arrived. And I remember lots of photos. I look back and I think that this is, I look like I'm in a Daily Mail article about like, the woman <laughs> with the world's largest breasts. Sort of. Why is that woman kind of dressed as page three of the sun? And it didn't help that my boyfriend at the time, it's incredibly lovely, but was very thin and looked like a bit of a beanpole. And then I was there with these ginormous sort of chugging these water balloons around on top so that sounds very strumpety of you it was red as well i'm getting a lovely lady in lay oh it, it was quite strumpety whereas the next year i think i'd i'd got i was sort of all in black and something far more chic do you remember that time we went shopping together in selfridges and we we're on the that was the black one that was you we helped me get skirt. it was the big skirt yeah no i liked that look so yeah i would i really enjoy their fashion on the reunions actually it's one of what what would you do you have any favorite looks from reunions gone by yes i think um the one reunion that stands out to me for several reasons but especially for its style is the season eight reunion i i personally love a Mm. visually cohesive reunion where it's very clear what the mood board was remind me and in this instance it was very clearly like new york glamour art deco uh monochrome domino with a little touch of Alex McCord flesh and chains. So Luann's wearing like a white sequin jumpsuit. Dorinda's looking very chic. She's in a very short white number, Mm. but she's dressed like the Chrysler building. Jules is there and she's wearing an amazing little short black number that's um, uh, bejeweled. Um, And then we have Carol, who is wearing my absolute favourite reunion dress of all time. And she looks like a mental patient. Yeah, I love that it's outfit. Like, it's like an extra on the little house on the prairie. It's like right up to her neck and down to her wrists and it's got lots of frills and it's flesh coloured. Um, she looks a bit like a lampshade in Eileen Davidson's house, like a ghost bridemaid in the haunted mansion. What's Bethany wearing? Oh, um, Bethany was wearing, she was in white also. It was a long dress with a few kind of simple chains along the front. She still had her Luan hair. Bethany looks nice. She looks good. Mm. Because Bethany has a few of my favourite looks. Bethany, Bethany's red floor-length number. Yes. That's sort of open at the front, Season but in nine, a baggy yeah. way, not in a breasty way. And it's got sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it more than that. She's got quite long hair at that point that's curled. And she's in just this really long, flowy red dress. And I really like that one. My favourite dress of Bethany's is the short fitted sequined shoulder paddy one that's in block colours like tiled block colours and it's got her very last one was that her very last one I think so no her last one was the princess gown wasn't it no that was season 10 this is season 11 oh maybe it maybe it was and it has a sort of sheath at the front of swinging yes (laughs) so difficult to describe these dresses (laughs) I really liked that. It's got very sort of structured feel and it's it's very aesthetically pleasing. It's very 60s mod. That's what I got from it. I love the season three reunion where I feel like that was the first time that these women kind of understood that they have to dress as if they're going to the Met Gala. And she had that, it wasn't a particularly nice dress, but she just gave a birth like a week ago. <laughs> and she was in that silver number with that huge puffy side bit. Yes. It was basically obscuring 
one side of Andy Cohen's face. Yeah. <laughs> it was very much a statement. It was like, I have won the season. I have won the Jill Bethany feud. This is my big, yeah. this is my moment. This is, this is my swan song. Um, but while we're on the subject, I actually kind of want to linger on the, the season three reunion a bit, if we may. Mm. So season three had the very first three-part reunion. And these days, there's nothing special about that. A three-parter is considered the norm, and I generally find them to be excessive, and it's mainly filler. Mm. Um, So it is nice to go back and do our homework and and watch season three and see the genesis of a reunion trilogy and what justified that in the first place, because by golly, it really does. And, And it begins straight out of the gate with this rather unique voiceover by Andy Cohen, where he's saying, you know, after the most dramatic season yet, the housewives reunite for an unprecedented three part reunion. That's and it's not to say that the amount of storyline didn't demand that extra 45 minutes but i would i would hypothesize that the main reason for it is because these women in talking about the bethany versus jill feud are really going into depths for the very first time about the goings on behind the scenes and the production elements yes yeah and for the first time ever, really breaking that fourth wall. So they're having to both discuss the argument as a storyline within the show, and then also discuss the the argument outside of the show. So they're doing two in tandem, which takes up twice as much time. And even today, a good 10 years later, The Real Housewives doggedly tries to preserve that wall and avoid acknowledging its own identity as a TV show, save for some very rare instances for dramatic effect. And over the years, the housewives have developed this code where, you know, when they say, like, this group of Mm. women, in inverted commas, it actually means production. You know, Lisa Vanderpump doesn't want to hang out with this group of women anymore, meaning she doesn't want to film with this cast. And And we will get that. We will understand the code. We speak that language. But the reunion with its its studio and its Andy Cohen, its host, and, and its more obvious trappings of artifice becomes the only outlet where the women can talk more candidly about those behind-the-scenes machinations. They talk about the show a lot, don't they? Exactly, where they talk about it as a production and the, the logistics of filming. And I would argue that that floodgate was opened by Bethany Frankel mm. in this reunion because you can feel the palpable relief where Bethany, for the very first time, doesn't have to talk obliquely for the sake of preserving that fourth wall. But she can be completely transparent and say, look, this wasn't just trying to take me down within this Mm. group of women in its most literal sense this was jill purposefully waiting until the cameras were up and rolling when we started a new season to blindside me with these accusations about how i'm a terrible friend specifically to turn the viewing audience against me to conspire with the women not to film with me to sabotage my spin-off show Mm -hmm. so for the very first time we really have the housewives acknowledging themselves as celebrities and as tv stars and you know bethany makes the analogy it's like jill leading her into an arena of two million people and telling them what a horrible person she is and she's sort of left there going oh hi everybody you know it sounds like a really basic thing to say but these women have never acknowledged that they're being watched before they've never acknowledged that two million people and I think that's an important It's crazy, isn't it? Because it's almost a new level of a reality show to have the reunions almost a, a new layer to that because it's almost got really meta for there to be drama around the filming of the reality show. Yeah. Because at that point, we take that as a given that that's completely true because you're talking about the mechanics of filming. But that is its own... Right 
reality show in itself, mm. the reunion. So, and that's manufactured in its own way. So, yeah, I think when the Real Housewives started, I think we were all very naive and we weren't savvy reality TV viewers. And I think we just watched it taking real in its most literal sense and just assumed that what was put before us was what it was. And so we never really had to think before about anything that goes on behind the scenes or what is given to us, what's edited out, how these things are presented to us. And the reunion had a big part in 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 revealing that. I completely agree. And also the reunions themselves, how they have been filmed. They, as you say, have become their own reality shows. And the drama, it's not it's no longer confined to those segments, you know, around the commercial breaks. You know, now it's like Andy saying, we'll be back. And then the cameras keep on rolling. And then we are witness to these arguments that continue mm. where the women get up and storm off and they go into their dressing rooms and they're, they're you know, they're, they they're, love they're it. taking their allies and they're muttering to each other and they're, they're caught on hot mics. You know, it carries on and the, the drama cannot even be contained to the basic structure of a reunion anymore. Um, I'm sorry, but just to finish off my, my point about, um, being watched very quickly you know this all started lest we forget with oc as ostensibly being a a glimpse behind the gated community of kota de casa where Mm. we were these voyeurs and the women didn't know that they were being watched and here in that reunion these women in new york were quite defiantly saying no we know we're being watched we know that we're famous. We're actually entertainers. We're entertaining you and Jill. You threw me under the bus purely for entertainment's sake. And I think that's a big statement to make. Right. And I think that's where it gets really interesting. Not only acknowledging what's going on behind the cameras, but Bethany actively saying, Jill, you're, you're not being real anymore. You are actively creating artificial drama for a television show which goes against the grain of The Real Housewives. If we start doing that, then what's the point of us being here? It doesn't work That's anymore. so true. That's so true. So I think that, for such an early point in the show, was a real um, watershed moment, I would say. Do you also think that, because wasn't that the reunion as well, where Kelly, she was saying production made her go on the trip. And Andy Cohen said, can I just say that's not true? Production didn't make you go on the trip. And she's like, oh, thank you, Andy, so much. But they did. And he's <laughs> like... Right. No, sorry, Kelly, but they didn't. And she's like, well, thank you so much, but they did. (laughs) And that was a really interesting, again, sort of meta thing where if your housewives stop complying with the reality of, as you say, the process and the filming, I could tell that that was difficult with Kelly because if Kelly makes Andy Cohen seem a questionable source in terms of truth, then he really loses a status Mm that's very important for the reunions to work. And for, uh, like we were saying about, if Bethany's talking about how filming works, we need that to be taken as truth. Otherwise you're into a whole other layer of created, manufactured drama that means the show will just become artifice and will lose why I think people watch it. So that was a tricky moment you could tell for Andy Cohen to navigate because if Kelly starts to make production sound bad, and also to make production mm. sound in control of the drama, yeah. then that's a real problem for the show. In you know, in those moments where Kelly makes accusations like that, it really poses an existential crisis for the show. It really questions the show's integrity, and I think it's a very risky game for Bravo to play to even have these reunions because normally when they're filming the show proper, 
we're not made aware of production's presence. We just see everything through the artificial eye of the camera and Bravo becomes this kind of very uh, abstract, omnipresent, big brother type patriarch that's sort of lording over the women. Mm. And then when they do the reunions, all of that has been distilled into the very human, fallible, flesh and form of Andy Cohen where the women can go toe-to-toe with him, they can hold him accountable. You know, when Carol says to him, oh, you're so full of shit, Andy, or saying these blogs are bullshit, it feels very much like an attack on the system, on the man in in capital letters. It's a mutiny, it's a rebellion. Sorry, I was just going to say, he does a really good job of, whether it's true or not, appearing to not have favourites, which must be difficult. He must find some of them insufferable. He must loathe some of them and he must really like some of them, but he does actually do a decent job of not only being pretty fair across the board and not appearing to be too biased Mm -hmm. because he has to reflect how the audience feels. He has to tread the line of holding the women accountable as a reflection of what the viewers will want to see at the end of that season. So you see it, for instance, with someone like Luanne, he really has to hold her feet to the fire quite a lot because we know that that's what the viewers want to see after a season of her saying all the other women are jealous of her and Tom or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I always think he does a very good job of coming off as if he genuinely likes them all, which can't, I just don't believe is true. He can't No, like them all. I think I get the impression that in the early days of New Jersey, he didn't like Teresa. And I think he did quite a good job of holding his cards quite close to his mm. chest there. Um, there was one time, I think it was, um, I watched Miami a few years ago, and I think it was the very last season where they were doing the reunion. And I think you could tell that he knew that it wasn't going to get picked up after this season. And I think he felt a bit checked out and he felt particularly impatient. So it is interesting when we see those glimpses uh, where his poker face cracks. But yes, I think for the most part, he is uh, pretty professional in, in quite a difficult yeah. role. He's also really fucking shady, though. I mean, if I had a pound for every time we've seen him sitting there like the Cheshire cat that got the cream, grinning from ear to ear because oh. he's just asked the women if they think that Luan can sing or if they think that Melissa Gorga can sing or if Kim Zolciak can sing, and he just sits there, you know, rolling it like a pig in shit, watching each of them squirm uncomfortably as they try and, you know, give a politically correct answer. It never gets old for him. Oh, yeah. So many of my favourite moments on the New York reunions are whenever Luan has a new song and they play it for sort of five ten seconds longer than they need to play it <laughs> yeah. not very loud as well like that awkward one where Luan's like louder it needs to be louder you know it's just awkward quiet clubbing music and then just pan between the faces of all the women awkwardly listening right. while Luan bops along yeah. and mouths to her own song and but also doesn't even mouth in a fun way she tends to sort of do she sort of does little hand gestures and and of course that's when she gave out the press release that she was going to be in Chicago that's one of my favorite reunion moments I sent that to you recently when she when she announces it yeah. as part of a comeback what a bombshell as well if you think I'm such a bad singer then you'd be happy to know that I'm joining the cast of Chicago and Broadway and I'm going to be fabulous <laughs> We're all very sad that we didn't see that performance. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's so annoying as well, because I know exactly what happened. I have no doubt that probably the casting people reached out to her agent and made an avail check and mentioned it to Luan. And then she took that as, you know, a full out offer and then just completely ran with it. It's so ridiculous. But um, 
Another moment when Andy is so bloody shady is in that season eight reunion. I don't know if you remember. Mm. It's that section, it really sticks with me. And I think it's one of the most viscerally uncomfortable moments we've ever witnessed on the show where Dorinda talks about her relationship with John and how John interacts with the other women and makes them uncomfortable. And everyone's being good about it and they're owning up to comments that they've made that were maybe a bit catty. And there's a real sense that there might be some closure here that the ladies will try to tolerate John for Dorinda's sake because they love her and John won't try so hard to be accepted. Everything's going swimmingly. And then Andy, who's such a shit stirrer, asks Bethany to elaborate on all those insinuations that she made about John and Dorinda's leisure time. Oh my gosh, yes. About how they party hard. And he was saying, look, I'm going to ask you outright, are you suggesting that they do cocaine? And there's a moment of very uncharacteristic silence from Bethany, and she's really debating whether or not to take the bait and take it to that level. And eventually she says, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's what I'm insinuating. And of course, Dorinda does expect it and denies it and says, well, I don't know, maybe you're talking about your own lifestyle, because that's definitely not how I run my life. That's not how I do things. And Bethany says to Dorinda, look, do you want to do this? Do you want to go there? Because I will. And then Ramona swoops in and she goes, next question, next question. And Bethany's like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. And they're all shifting in their seats and they're being very reticent. You can hear a pin drop, which is in itself a miracle amongst this group of clucking hens. <laughs> cluck, cluck, cluck. <laughs> but Andy good. doesn't let it go. He's like, well, you all talked about it on camera and that's what we're here for. You know, let's get some closure on this because it's yes. a reunion. It's it's super shady. And yeah. it all sort of devolves into a general referendum of who does and doesn't do cocaine in the group. And then out of nowhere, Sonia pops her head up over Dorinda's shoulder. She's sitting right next to her and she goes, well, everybody knows you do cocaine. It's the first thing she said all reunion, completely out of the blue, no warning. It's virtually sung, like the cadence of the accusation is so whimsical. (laughs) And Dorinda looks to her and she's like, what? No, I don't do drugs. Everybody knows. And she starts trying to put together an excuse about how Hannah lives with her and and how would she do that? And then Luan interrupts her and goes, Dorinda, let's just drop it. And then Bethany goes, yeah, 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 that's for the best. And even though those two are in a war, they're really reaching across the the aisle. There's a partisan union. There's a a moment of allegiance. And it felt like they'd all committed a murder. Mm. It was like how to get away with murder. They'd made a blood oath to never talk about all the coke that they do. Yeah. It was a very bare moment. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we've become accustomed to it. But next time next time you watch any of these shows tune into the background music and the sound effects of any of the given scenes because it's near constant there's always music or sound of some sort but none of that's there it's very stripped back and sonia breezily drops an atomic bomb and there's no da 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 there's no cut to an ad break it's very very arthur miller yeah it it is it's very it's very like uh, I feel like every Arthur Miller play has one of those incredible moments where something very fleeting is said that changes the course of the whole play where the audience goes in that moment and it can't you can't go back from that moment and I feel like that's exactly what Sonia does yeah yeah and she just had no skin in the game to quote Dorinda it was just that few seconds of silence is so incriminating that the hesitation and yeah. the garbled excuses layered on top of each other is something that we've never seen on one of those housewives reunions because normally the sca- the soundscape is just women screeching over the top of each other mm. and Andy yelling at them to shut up it's 
getting silence from them is like drawing blood from a stone. We've never seen that from them before. I find Sonia very difficult on the reunions because in a way I feel that she's not far off of speaking Kelly's language a lot of the time. She's maybe a slightly more muted version, but similar to Kelly Benson, she just makes very little sense, which means you don't get the satisfaction of because even Ramona, as annoying as the apologizing is, Ramona does at least acknowledge stuff that's happened. And yes, she tends to get off the hook by that thing of going, what's the thing she says in one of the reunions where she's like, gee, I don't know, would I even want to be friends with me? I right, don't know. Yeah. And it's like she but she does acknowledge it, whereas Sonia just continues with delusion to the point of it's a roadblock for the show whenever that happens with Sonia. Never seen more than in the toaster oven gate, oh where she can't even acknowledge that what Heather did was a nice thing. Like, her sense of entitlement is so insane. And at that point, all they're looking for is for her to acknowledge Heather's free work or whatever it was that she did to help a friend, at which point Sonia thinks it's appropriate to start dragging out sort of a2 cardboard cutouts of fan-made <laughs> yeah. logos to say i like this fan-made logo more than the one that you did for me as a design it's so horrific that well it has scene. the sexy it j has- you know my friends that my fans they get me the gays they they understand me they love me they know i need the sexy j and i, and I think that that's them. actually a real ah. moment where heather's response is very genuine in terms of her tolerance is so low for your work and your business and your actual skills to be not only questioned but so dismissed on a show that is such fr- is, is a reality TV. I think you just see a real moment there. Well, that was an interesting one as well because that was Heather's first season, and it's always interesting to juxtapose a rookie of the Housewives Arts and Sciences, if you will, with mm. uh, an old season pro like Sonia. And you kind of, as a viewer throughout that whole storyline we wanted to reach out and shake heather and go no don't bother like this is such a fool right, right. and i think heather was really a proxy for a normal human being and there was a sadness as well where i remember hearing her talk about i don't know if she mentioned this in the reunion where heather was what was it in the very first episode where they all had the cocktails in the townhouse and heather was talking to luann about something very emotional and in-depth and they had a bonding moment and i think heather thought it was a really nice moment between them and then it cuts to a mm. talking head of luann going oh darling i sympathize but this is cocktail hour oh it's about her dad dying that's oh, yeah. such a, that that's such a good that's such a good point that heather is a real everyman coming onto the show she does provide I think quite a lot of the way that Heather responds to the women, especially in her first season, I really identify with as how I would respond coming onto the show. Right. And I think you're right in that reunion, that moment where Sonia brings out the cardboard cutouts, it's real genuine shock from Heather at that you could go so low with no awareness that what you're doing is despicable. Like it's so the lack of self-awareness gets to the point. I think it's a similar frustration that the women have with Kelly in that season three, that they, they're coming to the realisation that they're never going to get the satisfaction of a normal human interaction mm-hmm. or an argument. It's, I find those reunions very frustrating. Yeah, Sonia doesn't really translate or Kelly in a reunion setting because it's very hard to get a full thought out of both of them. And it's hard, especially with Sonia. There's no narrative 
Exactly. Um, it's all very wacky and contradictory and half-finished thoughts. But it's also just froth. It's just like you said about on Watch What Happens Live, someone asking her about, are you seeing Rocco or Frenchie? And her telling a five-minute story that in no way answers the question and that just sounds like a handful of platitudes she's picked out of her memory box of her old lifestyle or whatever like it doesn't make sense yeah it's a bit like it's when it's like when kelly explains what's going on with how someone has in her first reunion about how something's going on like a lawsuit yeah and she gets really tearful but she does also just make zero sense for the three minutes she's talking I think Sonia works best on the reunions in that season eight settings where she just sits in the background. She doesn't really have a full segment. She doesn't do much, but she just throws out random bits of guff and then occasionally one will land. Yeah. You know, like a broken clock is right twice a day. Right. So sometimes (laughs) she gives us some real gems. And I love that moment. I think it's in season nine where Sonia goes, we don't talk about the families on TV. And he's like, the families? What are we, in the mafia? I love that bit where she goes, you don't talk about the families. It's so, she has, she, it's a really weird voice she puts on when she does it as well. Yeah. And it's so, she's so earnest as yeah. well. You don't talk about the family. She goes very New Jersey yeah. on the show. It's, it's the, a really good moment. Yeah, she suddenly crossed the Hudson or something. Um, Can we talk a bit about Ramona as well? And her presence on the reunions because i think however you feel about her she has been a true reunion pioneer she's been responsible for many of the firsts Uh on reunions across the franchises so famously we had her being the first housewife to walk off set in the middle of filming Mm -hmm. when alex was discussing those those naked infamous nudes Mm -hmm. have you seen the photos no i have and they're taken from below they're taken at a very odd angle Oh, Christ. It's like one where it's her looking down, taken from her knees. So it's lots of so it's lots of double chin and then mainly bush. And then you see a bit of her forehead poking out from over her breasts. And that's about it. Oh, my. It's very, will you send it to me? Yeah, of course. Also, did you hear, apparently this isn't new news, but I saw someone on Twitter was talking about it. Alex and Simon wrote a book a few years ago and... They had this very long, gruesome section about how Alex had a home birth for one of the kids, Johan or Francois. And for some reason, Simon got naked and was sort of writhing around with Alex as she was giving birth. And as she gave birth, they both sort of orgasmed together at the same time. Oh it was all very odd. Oh <laughs> it's quite disgusting. Wow. Oh, that's how I'm going to do my first child's home birth i mean it's the only way isn't it really so we get ramona walking off for the first time which was a big scandal for those early days of yore and then we also have ramona being the first housewife to fall asleep in the season seven reunion um and it's in typical ramona style because it's while dorinda yeah, yeah. and carol are having this very <laughs> earnest discussion about the experience of being a widow i know that and um Ramona falling asleep while they have the conversation about being widowed, along with, isn't it Luanne, whilst there's another really serious conversation going on, and there's that bit where she leans over to Andy Cohen and she's like, what time is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what? Sorry? And she's like, what time is it? And he's like, it's, it's at the time. And she's like, oh, God, I was supposed to do a thing. <laughs> and like, it's just, what those thing? Cabaret. Are my favorite. 
I think she was supposed to do her alcohol blowy thing. Oh, right, okay. It's just great. It's just. I thought it was going to be like, I have a meet and greet. I need to. Well, do same. That. I thought she was going to be like, oh, I have an audition for Chicago in five minutes. And then we also have that really awkward moment where Ramona goes toe to toe with Andy after the season. I was going to talk about this when you. Yes, I was yeah. going to say when we were talking about Andy being shady occasionally that that is so memorable, isn't it? The moment where she turns to Andy Cohen when he's asking about Mario and says well who are you sleeping with and he says well I'll tell you when I go on a tv show that films me 24 7 or whatever and it is a it's a good it is yeah it's it's a good words line. right out of my mouth I agree great right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to round out this little Ramona corner of the episode with one of my favorite moments I think in the in any reunion where they're talking about the ship sinking on the Cartagena trip. Oh my God, I think I know what you're going to say. And it slowly zooms <sighs> in on Ramona, looking off into the middle distance to the her floor. Her eyes are literally facing different... two different eyes. Yeah. It's somewhere between her looking like she like has... One eyelid's open, one eyelid's closed, the eyes are crossed. And she's, and she's, and she's really reliving pensive. it just to herself. Yeah, Having yeah. that as an existential moment is a pretty extraordinary thing to catch on film. It's like she's thinking about the war, just completely shell-shocked. What if her eyelids is just sort of drooping in the wrong direction and they're sort of bulging, but it it feels like she's lost the springy gelatinous bit you're meant to have in your eyes. So just her eye health. I'm concerned for her eye health because I remember in that shot thinking her eyes don't look so good. Because I know we all talk about how Ramona looks amazing for her age and she must have sold her soul to the devil or something. But it felt like we'd replace that Dorian Gray Ramona with the painting right. Ramona. And we're just right, watching her slowly second. decaying for a second right before yeah, our eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was on top form. You remember she was standing up in the middle of other people's segments, she had like whacking her yes. hip. And she demanded to change the whole seating arrangement because she was meant to be on the other sofa, but she had a pimple or something on the side facing the camera. So they all had to change. Yeah, I feel like she she provided a lot of filler for that reunion because she actually had very little input right. storyline-wise yeah. from that season. So I feel like she was purely there to provide sort of base-level entertainment. Yeah, and sort of occasionally nip at Bethany's heels. Do you remember that moment where she says, don't talk to me with your fake tits? And then Bethany looks down to like, as as if to check that they're both there and goes one, two, and he's like, okay. It's like, Ramona, you've got fake tits as well. What's that got to do with anything? But anyway, I feel like we need to move on. I feel like I'm getting bogged down in Bethany's cleavage here. So, um, James, in true Andy Cohen style, do you have any regrets? Mm -hmm. Um, What, about the podcast? No, in, in your whole life. Yes, about doing the podcast, about looking over after our, <laughs> our, our, our last season. Uh, I see. Um, what, you don't want to hear about my repressed childhood traumas? No. <laughs> um, uh, no, Ellie, I think this is something very new for me. It's something that we discussed for a long time. It came out of the depths of COVID lockdown and us having these very private telephone conversations about our favourite women. And... I'm really glad that we decided to take the plunge and put this out into the ether. I have no thorns, but my rose is my husband. <laughs> oh! <laughs> the podcast! Oh my god, I'm um, so sorry. Kill me now. I thought you meant in general. Do I have any regrets? Look, doing this has been... It has been such a lifeline during these endless cycles of lockdowns over the UK to spend a few hours of my week sat in a wardrobe 
chatting to one of my best friends on the other side of the world oh, about that's nice who's that <laughs> <laughs> any regrets my regret would be um not sorting out my sound sooner <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was fun um good start and uh not maybe dealing with my uh online indigestion in a smoother fashion but otherwise what can i say james i've been me I think you know how I feel about your burps. I think that's something to be embraced. I think that you should integrate them into your tagline one day. <laughs> so so what's been your favourite episode of our podcast? Ooh, you know what? I actually really enjoyed the second part of the Kelly book. Mm, me too. I really, I really found that second close reading of I think it was when we'd got to the bit about you wouldn't drown an orchid that stays with me all the time I think <laughs> right, about it yeah. every morning <laughs> when I wake up and I did really enjoy the Cartagena chat I did because I, really... I do find that Cartagena trip so funny it's such a gem and those kinds of episodes are so easy to do because they they give so much and all we have to do is just sit back and uh, revere the glorious work that they do it makes our jobs easy I think one of my favorite episodes to do is the alcohol episode, partly because I was three sheets to the wind the whole way through <laughs> and I just got to sip a vodka soda the whole time. I know we said it again and again, but these women are the best at what they do. and They really, they really are. They really do feel like friends in some kind of weird, twisted way. And it's nice to just sit and reminisce Absolutely. With them. It's been a treat to go back over these seasons. I honestly think I'll find it far harder with any other seasons of Real Housewives to get the same level of enjoyment of revisiting all of these past seasons. The other thing is it's just made me miss New York so much. I, I just can't wait to get back and be with you walking through Brooklyn Park with our lukewarm lattes. Yeah, so we have to, eventually when this happens, we need to put together a proper itinerary, won't we? So we'll have to walk over the Brooklyn Bridge, have an argument, you accuse me of having no friends. Absolutely. You'll be in your velour tracksuit. Absolutely. Yep. With my True Faith t-shirt. We'll go to the Regency, of course. We'll go hunting for Tom. Um, what other places are there? We need uh, to go to Bagatelle. We That's have to, exactly. Bagatelle. And also, is it in the first three seasons, I feel like Philippe's comes up all the time. They seem to just spend all their time at this French restaurant called mm -hmm. something yep. like Philippe. And where's the place with the shady where Luan goes off to the bathroom with the guy? Which place? The place where they all go to they all go to pick up men in what seems a bit like a gentleman's club and then Luanne oh, gets escorted to boutique. the bathroom. Boutique. I went to Boutique no. my very first week in New York. I ended up going to Boutique Stop. with some friends for a birthday party. It's no longer as well, R.I.P. Oh. It's exactly what you think it would be. It's very Euro trash. It's very mm. overpriced cocktails. It's lots of Upper East Cider cougars looking for wealthy bankers. But I had no idea what I was getting myself oh, into. Oh, well, that's my dream, Dead. Anything else? I'm done. I'm bled dry. Bled dry. Oh, my God. Same here. All right, I'll take us out then. Thank you so much for joining us this week for our final episode of season one of the Housewives Archives. If you like what you heard over the past few months, we would really appreciate a rating and tell your Bravo-holic friends about the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to click subscribe and give us a follow on Instagram at Housewives Archives so you don't miss our next season. Thanks so much for watching. We love you and we'll see you in the near future. Bye! Bye.